radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm here with some colleagues. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I've competed in strength sports before. Hi, my name is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm sick as a dog today. I'm also a journalist, a strength athlete, competed as a bodybuilder and a powerlifter. Next. And uh, unfortunately for Rob, I'm not a doctor, but I'm Charles Staley, and I'm director of Staley Training Systems and author of Muscle Logic. Uh, this is Philip, and I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night, so Rob's in luck. Um, I live in strength sports. Um, I'm nice and plump and resting up for a uh, meet tomorrow. I work at Staley Training Systems. And uh, that's our panel. Our guest today with us is uh, DJ Satterfield. Um, newly, he's uh, now the, uh, I guess you're the founder of the NH, NAHA, which is the uh, North American Highland Association. Um, DJ's an accomplished athlete, just an all-around quality guy. Um, competing in anything from powerlifting to Highland Games, a strongman, stair races. Uh, it seems like you, you name it, and DJ tries it. Um, state chair of numerous strength sports organizations, and uh, he's actually the... Uh, the first strongman contest I did was, was at his at his contest. So say hello, everybody. Hello. How's everybody doing? Good to be here. <laughs> that was quite the intro. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. You can uh, go ahead and say a few words about yourself, DJ, if I missed uh, anything there. No, pretty much. Just uh, started out in uh, powerlifting back in 99 and uh, kind of progressed into strongman in 2002 and took a liking to that. Kind of state was that, and um, had some good success, both of those. And um, I'd had some surgery done, get a rotator and bicep fixed. And, yeah, you touched on the infamous stair racing. Uh, <laughs> I read about that in the paper and decided to give that a whirl. Um, it kind of reminded You've me why that. I'm not into running and cardio. You've done that twice now, haven't you? Yeah, I did that twice. And, uh matter of fact, it's coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, I will not be at this one. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, kind of started, uh, kind of just looking, I'm always looking for new challenges and, um, a friend of mine, Sean Betts had, uh, kind of introduced me to the concept of this Highlander, the mixture of, uh, Highland Games and Strongman. He was getting ready to compete over in Scotland and kind of stuck with me and decided to, uh, start my own organization along with my, uh, business partner, Richard Vincent. And, um, here we are today. So we're going to give this a go and we're pretty excited about it. We've got a good good idea and concept going and um hope for the best. What are the events? So, I mean, sorry, what are the events? Well, basically it consists of uh it, it it's a half Highland game, half strongman. So the the contest will be either a four event, six event or eight event shows and and then, like I said it has to be half and half. It it can't be five of one, one of the other, or, you know, six and two, or that sort of thing. It's uh, That's the whole uh, concept behind it. It has to be half Highland Games and half uh, Strongman. And, and kind of what led me that way was when I, my son and I started doing some Highland Games competing this summer, I, I noticed it's a completely different sort of training, per se, um, an athlete that does that, where uh, with, with the Strongman powerlifting and whatnot, you know, you really want to stay tight and together where – the Highland, uh, they keep preaching to stay long and loose. So I thought, you know, what, what an interesting concept of mixing two ways of training. You know, it kind of incorporates that 
really massive strength on the strongman side with the athleticism over on the Highland side. So uh, not to say they're not strong because some of them guys put up some big numbers, but uh, just generally speaking. So I thought it was kind of a cool concept. Yeah, no, That is so cool. Hey, DJ, this is Charles. Uh, Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Good Good to talk to you finally. Yeah, likewise. And uh, the first thing right out of the gate, I just got to know is, uh, what do you think of the Octo Mom? I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. The Octo Mom. Oh, well. Woman who had like nine thousand babies last week. Uh, just mm. oh, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're serious. <laughs> I just thought uh, like the broadcast wouldn't be complete without that, but. Yeah. Uh, Hey DJ, actually, where did you um, where did you kind of come up with the idea of mixing those two disciplines? Because as you say, they are so different, and uh, um, I think it's just a phenomenal idea. Just wondering how the, how that kind of generated. Well, basically, back in the uh, summer, like I said, a friend of mine, Sean Betts, I've known for quite a few years. He's the current world champ Highland Games thrower. Uh, lives out here in Omaha, and uh, long story short, I had to switch gyms, and I'm now working out at where he's a trainer and we were just talking and he wanted me to take him over and uh, train him on some atlas stones for an upcoming event that he was uh, invited to in scotland and one thing led to another and it was it was this uh, doug edmonds was putting it on this highlander and he explained to me it's kind of a mixture of highland games and strongman athletes and it also consists of highland game events and strongman events and uh, that was really where the seed got planted. Um, I, I just thought, you know, that's that's pretty unique uh, contest. I hadn't really heard of anything like that, um, and and it just kind of stayed like that, and kind of went with him for a few months. And we trained Highland Games. Like I said, my son and I kind of got into it, and that was really it. And um, uh, one day, you know, had this great epiphany and thought, hey, about starting our own organization and doing something like this, I think guys might be interested in competing in something like this. So um, here, here we are today. That's really uh, oh, cool. it in a nutshell. Well, we're thrilled to be involved, and uh, I, I always thought that the different strength disciplines were very synergistic, and uh, typically, obviously, Highland Games competitors do um, uh, train, and you know, they do sort of cross-train, for lack of a better term, in, in everything from Olympic lifting to strongman to power and vice versa. So um, sure. I think both, both disciplines will, 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 uh, um, will, will gain from, from, from the involvement, I think. So it's exciting. So, yeah, DJ, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Is this the kind of thing where you expect to get a group of people who are very specific to this then, or are you just going to have always a mix of, Highlanders and strongman come and go, you know what I mean? Well, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think in time, I mean, if it uh, takes off the way, you know, the, the response so far was just overwhelming. You know, I wasn't really sure when I announced it how to take, you know. I mean, I, honestly, I thought, well, we'll have a few people maybe want to dabble in it and uh, talk about it on the different boards and um, media outlets, but <laughs> excuse me, um, but it's just I've got you know powerlifters to some track guys to Highland to strongman. I mean I'm I'm thinking I don't know that a guy per se um, this is just what he's going to do uh, because I'm thinking you know you're going to need to train obviously more than one or two disciplines here. So I would like to just attract you know numerous. I mean whether it be an, an arm wrestler, a powerlifter, a Highland Games guy. 
you know, anybody that's really into strength sports, I think, you know, this should appeal to them. Well, I think one neat thing about it was, like we had talked about, it's a great way for for an amateur or a novice to enter in and try these things for the first time. And they can sure. try Highland and try Strongman, and, hey, if they end up liking one better, if they really like the Highland, let's point them to that organization. And right. If they and really like the Strongman, we'll point them that way. That's one thing I'd like to clarify, too, because when we started this, there were some um, – for lack of a better term, some bad rumblings that, you know, here's another guy trying to start an alternate uh, strongman organization because that's been tried before. And that, that's, you know, we are our own entity, our own, you know, body here. We're, we're uh, and Phil kind of hit on it, like I've told people, talk to the head of, uh, of you know, NAS, which runs strongman. There really is no organization in Highland, but I've made it clear to both sides that, you know, we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here or, put anybody out or anything we're, we're our own deal and it, exactly if say you come in and you know i kind of like the strongman stuff but i really don't care about this highland well we'll point you to nas their website whatnot you know they've got a whole list of events you can just do that and vice versa if you don't like the strongman aspect of it put you over to the nasda board uh list all the different highland events and you know you can go that way um I so said, we're, we're just trying to offer another option of a strength sport. That's it. No more, no less. So um, I, I've tried to be very adamant about that to people that, you know, we're, we're not – we, we don't want to get into the, the, the powerlifting scene, per se, where there's so many different federations. We're not trying to start up, um, you know, an, another strongman organization either. So we're, we're our own our own deal. So these other groups, they're probably going to dig you then, really, because you can turn people on to something and then <laughs> – People can almost specialize by moving on to the other groups. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, and that's what I've tried to point out to them, and uh, you know, especially the strongman side. That uh, you know, if anything, these two have the most to benefit from this because, sure, if we happen to get somebody in that really doesn't care for both, I, I personally think they're going to. I, I think they're going to really like this. But if not, um, or you know, physically maybe they've had uh, a, a surgery or, or something else go on that they just can't do one or the other. Yeah, I mean. They, they, I told them they tend to benefit the most. Um, you really have to like both sports to really be with us, where, you know, if you just like one or the other, you can go that way. But uh, so far, I think everything's going to be good. I think people are going to be pretty excited just to have another option. Um, you know, something I else think to that's do. really the great thing is that strength athletes now have another competitive opportunity, and uh, that's that really makes it fun. Yeah, and we're going to keep the strongman side of it, too, a little more um, – well, Phil will know from the show that he came to of ours, but even well, the the, the weights are really starting to get somewhat out of hand on the amateur side, really, really heavy. And so we're not trying to mix, let's say, a top strongman show with a top Highland mixed together. We're going to have the strongman weights tweaked down, you know, to where because most strongmen will be able to do any of the Highland events. Now, with that said, they may only be able to throw something a few feet, where the good, you know, the really good competitors can throw. 30 and 40, but they'll be able to do it where you can't, that can't necessarily be said on the Highland side. I mean, it, it's, it's, you're just not going to be able to go pick a 300 pound stone up or a 300 pound farmers in each hand. So trying to keep things on the, on the strongman side down to where they're at least doable. I mean, you know, we want to see everybody come out and succeed yet heavy enough to test your strength, but not what a normal strongman show, let's say would be per se. So, I mean, Very if cool. they end up winning on going faster or more repetitions as opposed to, you know. 
sure. not not finishing. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, I mean it, it, an example was last year in our uh, strongman show, the, the heavyweights did 300-pound farmers per hand. Well, at, at the national meet, we've got set up already for our uh, North American Highlander Nationals. Uh, I believe the heavyweights are going to have 250 pounds per hand, or 250 or 260. I'd have to look on the entry. So, you know, substantially less than what our other show was, but plenty of weight still nonetheless to test somebody's grip strength. Oh, sure. Hey, DJ, I wonder if, if you would step back for a moment and kind of outline the different um, Highland events, because I think of all the strength sports, I think Highland Games probably is, is the least understood uh, among the, the overall community. So I wonder if you would just uh, tell us what those events are and maybe just a, a quick description of each one. Sure. The, uh, there's, uh, there's a Bramer stone put and then just an open stone put. And, and basically, it's like a shot put on both of them. The open stone typically is a 16 to 17 pound stone, with the Bramers closer to a 22 to 24 pound stone. The biggest difference is with the open stone, you can use a glide or a slide like in a shot put, where the Bramer, you have to stand and just put the stone without moving. Um, then you've got a lightweight for distance and heavyweight for distance, and those are throws. It's a uh, the lightweight's 28 pound implement. The, the total length can't be over 18 inches with the handle included, and then the heavyweight's a 56 pound implement. Um, typically, you'll you'll do a double spin with those. They're all the, the puts and the lightweight throws are all done inside of a, a box. It's roughly seven foot by nine foot, and You've got a trig in the front, similar to like throwing a shot where you can't go over or it's a scratch, but you spin with these implements and throw them. Um, you've also got then the weight over bar, which uses the same 56-pound uh, or, or a 42-pound for like masters. There's, there's a couple different weights, and then the women's is a little less. And basically you stand underneath... Um, Oh, imagine like a, excuse me, an adjustable goalpost, and you stand underneath that, and you have to throw the weight to where it goes up over the bar. Um, as you you get three attempts, most most everything, I guess I should back up. In Highland, you'll get three attempts. On the stone pudding, you'll get three attempts. Uh, your best one is your score. Uh, you also get three attempts then on this weight over bar, as long as you providing that you're clearing each attempt. Um, let's see, then we've got a lightweight and heavyweight hammer, which is a 16-pound on the light and a 22 on the heavy. It's on a 40-inch handle, and same thing, you're standing in the box. Uh, you, you don't, you don't uh, spin, per se, your whole body. You just spin the hammer around your body and let it go. There again, three attempts. Your best one uh, is your score. Last two events would be the sheaf toss, which is like a, they'll use either a 16 or a 20 pound, similar like a burlap sack type hay bale, and you're, you're with a pitchfork, and you're tossing it up over the bar. This, the, you'd be the same bar that you're using for the weight over bar. It's an adjustable bar. Um, and then the last event, of course, that everybody really knows Highland by is the caber toss, which is like a big telephone type pole, and different lengths, different weights, You've got to get this thing picked up in your hands. You run with it and then stop, and you have to flip, and it has to make a complete turn. Uh, and you're trying to score what they would say is a 12 o'clock, which would be a complete flip right directly in front of you. And that, that's your basic nine 
disciplines to comprise all your standard Highland game events. So uh, as far as organization, you, you need to pick out of those nine. Uh, it doesn't matter which ones you pick. Just It's got to be out of those nine. How long has this sport been in existence? The Highlander? Yes. Uh, that's a good question. Um, here, here, as far as what we're doing, it's not. The only one that I know of is uh, up in New Hampshire, there's a gentleman that runs a pro version. It's by an invite, typically eight to ten athletes. Uh, he runs it in conjunction with um, his Highland Games. Uh, I believe it's Bill Crawford, if I remember correctly, up at the Loon up in New Hampshire. He he has one, like I said, it's a pro version. And I know Doug Edmonds has had a pro version over in, uh, I believe it's uh, Calendar over in Scotland. Um, but nothing amateur that I know of. But, but how long has the sport kind of been in existence, do you know, like? Oh, I'm sorry, you mean like the Highland Games? Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I, I'm sure it has its roots, probably hundreds of yeah, years. Yeah, I'd have to look that. I'm guessing 17, 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been around a long time, and I know that's most of the events uh, on the Nazca site. I know it talks about kind of the history, and a lot of the events, of course, are based off of old farming-type uh, chores and whatnot that they had to do, kind of evolved into an event. Right. That's your strength against your neighbor type thing. Exactly, exactly. So, DJ, if if we've got uh, somebody who's uh, maybe experienced in strongman uh, or powerlifting or both, and, um, you know, they're thinking about uh, attending one of these events, I'd have to think that if you have no experience with Highland Games that, that you might find some of those events, particularly, I would just guess, the caber is being kind of intimidating. So what would you say to those folks in terms of uh, – you know, is there any? Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing. Is there any sort of pre-event quick uh, brush-up tips? Are there? Is this uh, something that people can kind of pick up on on the fly as this organization is still new? Or what would you say to those folks? Well, I, I would tell them. Uh, I, um, let's see. First of all, not a lot of the events will probably have um, the caber. That, that's a good point because that's the most. Uh, uh, it's probably the most technical and hardest of yeah. ones. But, but with that said, if they did, what we'll do is we'll make sure that the promoters have, you know, capers that are easily – that you can handle. Um, I, I know because, yes, the first one that I ever even attempted was with Sean, and it was actually a straight pole. Now, most of the capers are tapered, and you you pick up the, the mm. slimmer end, let's say. Um, so most of the weight's up in the air, so it makes it a little simpler to flip. But – yeah, it's very intimidating. Um, it was a 16-foot, 130-pound pole I was picking up, and That's no insane. way in the world were we going to flip it. But we were just trying to get the idea of how to hold it. Um, so, it, 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 and, I, and I found, at least in my experience so far around the Highland guys, is everybody's extremely helpful. Kind of what I found with strongman, most powerlifting, and all that. I mean, more than willing to help people out and you know teach them how to hey pick it this way do this do that sort of thing so that, that would be what i would tell everybody is you know don't let that hold you up you'll come out as with strongman straight highland games anything like that you, you know you can throw power lifting arm wrestling it, really any olympic lifting anything and come out you'll find out what you need to work on and go back and work on it um it's kind of like we've all done with any strength sport we've been in so and, and like i said the weights aren't going to be you know, crazy heavy to where 
you're not going to be able to at least get an idea, oh, you know, maybe if I would have leaned this way or if I would have stood this way, you know, you'll at least be able to pick up on what, what needs to be done to correct things. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't shy away. You, do, you don't need to be a established, you know, high-end strength athlete to do this. That's that's what we're trying to avoid with, with like that's I said, keeping uh, the weights manageable. But yet, you know, yet on the other hand, of course, we don't want to have, let's say, a 100-pound farmers where a guy picks them up and runs a, sure, you know, sure, sure. Nine, nine flat 100 either with them. So, but, uh, no, everything will be very doable. And that's, you know, the idea, of course, behind us, having all promoters send sanctioning forms into us so we can kind of look over the events and that way maybe tell them, hey, you know, you might want to bump this up a little bit or this here, you might want to bump down because it's going to be a little tricky to do and, um, you know, so it can be a little more, little user-friendly. We're definitely, I mean, we're definitely in this for the athlete. That's that, that's the main thing behind this. We want to see everybody awesome. be successful and have a good time. I would think well, speaking of somebody with a, a discus throwing and Olympic lifting background, um, if you've never thrown heavy stuff, it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it just has a level of uh, fun and excitement to it and, and reward that uh, if you've never done it, it's really worth uh, playing with. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know I, when we first went out throwing the Highland stuff, it, uh, it, it was very humbling to me because, as I said, I've been fairly successful in powerlifting and strongman and um, – it, it, it's a whole different it's a whole different way to train and finally picked up on the spinning aspect of it and boy that that was probably the hardest just trying to get the footwork and that stuff down but uh, you know like I said it's like anything you just uh, stick with it and you're only going to get better and um, you know practice just makes you better and that's that's really a lot of what it is and a lot of repetitions and things will come along. Cool, Phil. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's good. I think we covered about everything. I, I have no further questions. Yeah, I learned a lot. That sounds like a very, very cool kind of hybrid situation yeah. there. Well, DJ, what I want to do uh, then uh, is just kind of uh, swing this around a little and just get DJ's and everybody's input on this week's topic, which is um, muscle dysmorphia. Or it's also known as bigorexia. And you know what I can do is right off the bat point to people – or uh, point to a paper here for people who are listening that can be very helpful in defining a lot of this. There was a 2005 journal article. Uh, it's in the Journal of Athletic Training by Leone and his colleagues. And this is just a goldmine for anybody concerned about bigorexia or muscle dys- dysmorphia. They talk about how it's increasing in prevalence. In fact, I have a 2008 paper here from Mosley that also says it's increasing in prevalence. But when you look at some of these diagnostic criteria and things like that, um, you can really see there's a fine line between any kind of high-level strength athlete and uh, people who could literally be diagnosed with this. Uh, So I'm going to run these down real quick, and then we can all just give our thoughts on this, because this might make you feel a little subconscious, to be (laughs) honest. The diagnostic criteria for muscle dysmorphia, one is the individual is obsessed with the belief that his or her body should be more lean and muscular, and they will use weightlifting uh, and diet uh, as a kind of a fixation toward that end. Now, wow, you know, that, that'll hit home a little. But anyway, so we have obsession with this belief that we should be more lean and muscular, uh, weightlifting and diet uh, toward that end. And then at least two of the four of the following – uh, an uncontrollable focus on pursuing an unusual training regime, uh, 
causing the person to miss out on different social or other activities. Uh, number two, circumstances involving body exposure are preferably avoided. Uh, number three is performance in your work or social arena gets affected in some way by your uh, obsession. And number four, potentially detrimental effects of your training regime <clears throat> fail to discourage you from pursuing hazardous practices. So any of the two of those four, along with the kind of obsessive behavior, and you can actually be diagnosed with muscle dysmorphia. Well, that pretty much describes anybody who's ever had any sort of passion towards physique, physique development right there. Yeah. I think well, but I wonder, the, uh, I was going to say, I wonder if there's just sort of a line where you kind of border on uh, obsessing to the point where it, it detracts from your life as opposed to uh, improves your life, you know? That's exactly right. I, I, I mean, when you... When I worked with people who are bulimic before, one of the hallmark features of that eating disorder or that psychological disorder is a loss of control, right? In that case, it might be binging on huge amounts of food. And here you also see a loss of control. And like Charles said, to the extent that it's actually damaging, you know, you, you skip out on work or other things like that. So I, I really think it's that loss of control that's, that's part of a hallmark of this. And remember, any one of those things wouldn't be – enough to diagnose you, it would have to be at least two of the four along with the obsessiveness. So, I think Lonnie, it's, it's interesting yeah, I, when, you, when you bring that up. It just brings to mind, and, and had you not brought up this topic today, I probably would have never thought of this again in my whole life, but I used to know a woman some years ago who was convinced that her head was excessively large. And uh, she was a perfectly intelligent you know, normal in every other respect, uh, woman, and uh, uh, but this and her head was not too large; it was completely normal, and uh, it even affected the way that she like uh, styled her hair and you know all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's kind of funny, huh? Well, you know what? There's actually two different disorders here. One is muscle dysmorphia, like we're talking about, which is kind of a reverse anorexia in a way. But there's another similar disorder here, which is body dysmorphic right, disorder. Right, right. And that's the preoccupation or with an imagined defect in your appearance. And so yep. she, she would probably fit more into that category, huh? But Yeah, but I, I bring it up just because the, the, the two kind of disorders are so similar, um, and, and it's just, uh, just kind of interesting. Well, in a way, I think both are kind of a, a hypercritical, you know, loss of some objective assessment of what's in the mirror, you know, I some think, kind I of body of image. Distortion. I think one almost bleeds you into the other in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, one kind of just uh, forms a catalyst towards you uh, suffering from the other in some cases. I'd say also, I mean, more and more today, you're seeing less of the, the bigorexia as you are the, the um, you know, it's it, maybe we call it like aborexia. You know, <laughs> these kids want it's anything to get in, it's a six-pack. You know, it's anything to get super lean. And, you know, that's and where strength sports are going to differ. You know, I, I don't – I would wager that DJ doesn't see as much of this kind of thing amongst, you know, Highlander competitors or uh, strongmen as you might see with, uh, you know, kids who are flipping through muscle magazines and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I would agree that uh, most of our guys are, are you know – I mean, it's – excuse me, it, it's – health, obviously, and appearance is becoming – 
uh, it's amazing, a little more important to these guys. I mean, you know, you can look at, uh, uh, if you look at the new, a lot of the strongmen on TV now, of course, it's kind of a whole different look from, um, you know, you can throw Marius, Kevin Nee, uh, I'd have to think of some others off the top of my head, uh, Errol Haugen, a lot of the newer ones. Um, uh, well, Jesse Morundi, when he was around, were just a little different look than what, the stereotypical powerlifter strongman is, but uh, yeah, you're you're correct. In general, that's not as that's, it's not like the bodybuilding world. Um, you know, as far as that goes, they're they're definitely number one concern is strength, and uh, definitely want to be healthy. But you know, if they've got a little fat around the middle, they're not that concerned about it. But are you saying that, is that changing though a little bit? Like you're seeing guys who could just as soon cross over into look like off-season bodybuilders or something, or? Well, I think somewhat. I mean, you, there, there's different instances. You can look in the I, – I, I can't speak on the Highland guys as, as much since I'm fairly new to that side. But I know in the strongman, yeah, I, I believe there's some. Um, it, it's kind of ironic because I, I, I hate to admit this. I wasn't real sure what the topic was, you know, when I talked to Phil about this. And it, it's uh, – and there again, I hate to admit, I, I, I find it myself anyways that I'm definitely more concerned now. I want my strength. That's my my bottom end, but yeah, I definitely start to fall into some of these things. I'm, I'm listening to you describing these. And I'm like, holy moly, you know. Now, does it dictate my life and control what I do? No, but you know, I, I know I'm a person. Um, I go on vacation somewhere. I'm, I'm needing a gym somewhere. Uh, I'm not going to just go miss you know workouts because I'm on a strict eating diet that I stick to. Um, so it was just it was kind of uh, eye opening ironic when when I started hearing exactly what this was I was like oh boy yeah I, I think uh, it's yeah. important to keep an eye on the fact that you know there has to be this critical mass of these little descriptors in order for that kind of a diagnosis to take place there's even a list of questions here in the Leon paper uh, which is I think it's a 2005 if that's what I was saying but um, they talk about some questions that you can start to ask what an athletic trainer, let's say, might ask an athlete to get a better feel for it. And some of these are actually the reasons that I'm, I'm not really into competitive bodybuilding anymore. Like one of them is time, uh, surrounding time. It says, what portion of each day do you spend grooming yourself? And I don't know. I just find that kind of funny because one of the things that Rob and I would laugh about in the past is, you know, when you compete, you're straddling – you know, the bathtub and your wife's painting you up with brown stain and, you know, and you're quaffing every little hair. And, uh, you know, it's, it's at that point you're officially obsessing, you know, and spending a, a crazy portion of the day grooming <laughs> yourself. But, and I don't want to make light of it, but, you know, it, it's the primping that kind of turned me off. I was always more of a Dorian Yates mold kind of guy. I mean, I'm not built like that by any means, but that's what I admire. And, you know, it's the primping and and the constant time in front of the, the mirror and stuff like that that was harder for me to, you know, enjoy. I don't know. Certainly I didn't have any loss of control where I couldn't stop grooming myself. That was... <laughs> I think what made me bring this topic up was the fact that, I mean, there is a difference between the athletic population and just somebody training to look good. And what you're seeing more and more today that I see and deal with in in people is it's an obsession and it's a stressor to where they're so worried about it. Worried, yeah. It affects their daily life. I mean, they're worried about it 100% of the day. 
if they're eating the right thing. Is my training 100% optimal? And they're not enjoying what they're doing. They're stressing over what they're doing. It's not enjoyment anymore. It's crossed that line. Yeah, well, I, I think that's right that. on the I mean, head. In I, fact, I, I, I see words in this document about questions that should be asked about worry, are they distraught, depressed, anxious. And at that point, you know, you're not just, yeah, you're not digging it. You're, you feel trapped or, you know, some loss of control, and, and that's no way to be. I think uh, in fact, I was looking at treatment options here, and they're pretty straightforward. And actually, to me, they look a lot like um, bulimia, uh, but it's basically antidepressant meds like Prozac and then cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, you go uh, adjust your thinking patterns and, you know, work with a counselor, basically. But the antidepressants are a part of it, too. I always thought that was ironic because whether it's bulimia or uh, bigorexia, Antidepressants, they might make you feel better, but they also cause fat gain or weight gain. And that just sounds counterproductive in a way for someone like this, but maybe it's good that they, uh, you know, come to grips with a, a little bit more normal body shape. Like Phil was talking about, they, maybe you shouldn't have a shredded six-pack year-round. I mean, and I know Fortress agrees with that, too. Who wants that? Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess I could see, too, where, you know, I guess to look in on that is, and I think back to my own personal experiences, the, the year in Strongman when I won nationals, you know, I was real similar to some of that where, you, you know, uh, Saturday night, I mean, it's getting to be about 10 o'clock, and I'm thinking, okay, honey, we need to get home, you know, because I need my sleep. I'm going to be squatting the next morning. Um, you know, I was driving to different friends. I'm out here in Nebraska. I was driving to Missouri, Iowa, whatnot, to train. So, I mean, I think some of it's positive and healthy if you've got a maybe a – a shorter-term goal, per se. I mean, I was training for nationals. That was my focus. Um, yeah, I took about five or six months of my life, and, I mean, this was what I wanted to do. Now, once it was done, continued to compete, but I let up and wasn't quite as, you know, if we stayed out or I missed this or that meal, wasn't quite as bad. So, yeah, I, I guess if a person has to do this 365 days a year every year, there might be a problem there. But I guess on a short-term goal, you know, um, I, I guess myself, I just call that really being focused on, you know, a goal maybe you're trying to achieve. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's fun to talk about this with people who re understand strength sports and things like that because we're all obsessive at certain times of the year. Sure you are. Otherwise, you know, I mean, if you were lackadaisical uh, and totally lacked all discipline, then you'd get nowhere, you know. I think so, that's a, a big difference, too, is that when you're in strength sports and – whatnot and even bodybuilding i think most of these people that are have this disorder are not it's the lack of goals no tangible goals they have a certain image in their head that they never meet and no matter how lean they get or or ripped they look they have this the mirror doesn't tell them what they want and it's it's consistent never having never reaching anything you know there's nothing to really reach well that's the problem with bodybuilding is there really is no kind of like defined you know, end to what you're doing. It's not like powerlifting or something where you're, you know, you're going for a 700-pound deadlift or something, and that's a kind of a stopgap in your evolution of progression. You know, there there really is no end. You're just kind of going to the gym and kind of just lifting for this idea of what you think you want to be, but you never, like, as you say, you never really get there. I think in bodybuilding, the irony is that the bigger the person gets, the, the smaller usually from a from a social standpoint and every other standpoint, the smaller the person's world gets. So I don't know, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, but 
No, I, I can agree with that too. I think you, they, you start to run with a certain circle, or you spend lots of time in the gym, and you know, and and that's kind of what they're suggesting here in these in these papers is that it, you know when when social and work uh, goals start to suffer, performance starts to suffer. That's when it becomes a problem. Now, some I mean, of these things I think we might all find a little odd. Uh, uh, there's a a table in here that it lists self-destructive behaviors that are associated with muscle dysmorphia, and some of these things um, I would question, <laughs> frankly. I, one of them is um, high-protein, low-fat diets, uh, excessive use of dietary supplements, that is creatine. Uh, I'll tell you, creatine gets a lot of bad press, and so does protein. It, it's, it's strange to see that these are self-destructive. Now, if it truly is excessive, that's fine. You could be, you could have excess water and hurt yourself, you know. But um, it, just to kind of mention very high protein diets or, or creatine on a list of self-destructive behaviors, I think we need to be cautious with that kind of stuff. Those are real gray areas. You don't want young athletes thinking that because they're eating a low fat, higher protein diet or they're using a little bit of creatine at times of the year that they're they're somehow that those are self-destructive. You know, those can also be used in a constructive way. Of course, it's yeah, like you say, it's a context for which people are using these things, and to what degree it kind of defines the whole bigorexia kind of problem in the first place. Yeah, I know like, personally I, you know, for me. Go ahead, Lon. No, I was just going to say what Phil has been saying is, you know, watch where to go sour. If the things are getting stressful and negative, and you're getting depressed and anxious, or a loss of control, where even if you wanted to, you couldn't stop going to the gym. Those are those are things to, you know, real legitimate concerns. But don't you yeah. think that you almost have to be those things to get anywhere, specifically in bodybuilding? To a point, yeah. I mean, you almost have to not will yourself to become those things, but you almost have to just kind of succumb to those kind of things to kind of get anywhere. I mean, that's You know, the there is an International Olympic Committee document on eating disorders, and they talk about, they compare eating disordered mindset versus what, what they call the good athlete mindset. So a lot of things that make a good athlete, like discipline, you know, or even going to the gym when you may not feel like it at certain times, those things are good, right? Coaches like those. Athletes like those. And so I think that's why they try to lay down these criteria that you have to meet two of the four you know, there has to be a, a lot of negativity, things going sour, uh, stuff like that. In fact, if it helps to, to explain any of this, here's some useful techniques, again, based on this Lyon paper, uh, for treating athletes with muscle dysmorphia, because there's really not a detailed plan of treatment like with some others, but it's things like um, talking about the person's feelings, uh, remind the athlete that others share similar concerns, uh, avoid jumping to conclusions about your physique or, you know, how you're going to get to a certain point. Uh, discard notions that the media and advertisements can dictate. And that one made me think of you, Rob, because you, you'll talk all the time about these, like at the different magazines you worked at, you, you see these professional bodybuilders, they get slapped on the cover, and, you know, these young guys are actually trying to imitate that. And, you know, they're 20 sets for back and all these different, isolation movements and everything else, and they're trying to look like the, the, the cover, and, uh, you know, it's not happening. Well, the problem with that whole thing, not to steer this kind of in a different direction, but most of these young kids that are get totally passionate about these things, they don't realize that these people don't look like that all the year, all year yeah. at all. 
I mean, those, yeah. those, most of those shots are done right before, right after a major event. Mm-hmm. Hell, that's like even at the athletic perspective. I don't look like this all year. I got to meet tomorrow. <laughs> right. I mean, you peak once or twice a year for any yeah. goal-driven thing. Right. I think that's one of the things that was most shocking to people, the young people who go attend these expos, whether it be an Arnold Fitness Expo or whatever, and they see some of these professional bodybuilders and sitting behind their respective booths signing autographs, and, and you know, most of the time these guys are like big, sweaty, pale, hairy guys that don't look anything like they do in the covers. That can be a real kind of a eye-opening experience for some of these younger trainers because it's like, wait a minute, you know, these, these guys don't look like these Greek, you know, these oiled-up gods 365 days a year. Yeah. You know, when you say that, I think of Lee Priest. The first time I saw Lee Priest in the offseason, I mean, there's there's lots of issues going on there, but when I saw him, <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. You right. know, I mean, the, the guy was, I don't know, 50, 80, 100 pounds bigger than he is when he's on the cover of a magazine, you know, and he was just round. You know? <laughs> Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he was huge and powerful. And I've always actually liked the guy's physique, but just to see him in the off season was was kind of stunning even for me. Right. You know. Okay. Well, any closing thoughts on this? Well, for me, just what I said before, I think I think almost it's almost inevitable that at some stage of the game for anybody who is passionate enough and, and lasts long enough in any sort of kind of, you know, uh with any sort of physique aspirations, they'll probably, if if not fully succumb to those kind of conditions, certainly flirt with them at some point. And I think the important thing is just always kind of be aware of where you are, you know. And and like you guys say, if 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 things start going to use your word, Lonnie, if start, things start going sour, um, at least you have the mindset to kind of understand the condition and maybe try and right it in some way. Um, I just, I mean, I know there's a difference. I know what, I mean, I was caught up in that for a large, for a couple of years. And I, I mean, what saved me really was just the realization that, hey, uh, strength sports, I'm good at lifting big stuff. And it's not, you aren't who you appear to be. That's not all of you. And most people, most people I think that are caught up in these, oh, we'll call them eating disorders or visual dysmorphias with themselves are they may have goals but they're living for other people they're living for what they project themselves and not a real goal that they want right you know because i'm no less obsessed with strong man and powerlifting but it's it's for me and it's you know i'm i'm happy doing it whereas you never really reach a point of, of pleasure or reach a goal when you're just constantly stressing over over that, you know, I think even professional bodybuilders, I mean, at least they have, they're packing on the pounds, putting on the mask for this date. And like yeah, Rob said, they're date. not that way all year round. And it's for a goal. And it's for something that they want. It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm getting the six pack as they say I should. You know, and I, I got to look like this cover model because that's the way everybody should look. This all sounds a lot like Bill's mantra, which... I think what we would all agree with, which is the exerciser versus athlete mentality a little bit. You know, exercisers are doing stuff because they feel like they have to or, like you said, they, they, they're worrying about what other people think. And athletes are about a specific date or a competition or, you know, something, uh, a goal that's 
not really about worrying how they should look or should be, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, and put a twist on I mean, that's like, right me, I just ate my way up to 280 pounds in four weeks from 265. But in nice. March, we're doing a contest to see who can get the leanest. It's a month long. Hey, it'll be fun. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's not for any other reason, but, you know, hey, look, I can do it, you know. and you challenge yourself a little. It's, yeah, uh, you're it's, right. it's a timeline. I mean, it, it brings to mind what I don't know if anyone knows. Was it Benjamin Franklin who first said, "Practice moderation in all things," and that's kind of the mantra for good mental health. Uh, I think for most people, that's that's advice. That's kind of grandmotherly sage advice. On the other hand, you're never going to be uh, a world champion uh, at anything following that advice. So it's kind of a fine line. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I'm not sure we came to any definite answers except for, you know, as long as uh, – I'd say that the fun and enjoyment has to well overbeat the negativity. And stress. Well, and I, think you, I think you hit it real good, Phil, with your, you know, your last comments that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, if there's a goal, something, you know, other than what so-called society expects of you or what you think society expects – you know, there's there's nothing wrong with it, but yeah, there's there's times you turn it on and turn it off per se. But right, when when the fun's taken out of it, you know, really as with anything in life, then you might want to kind of step back and look at things and see what you need to do different. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Definitely. Okay, everybody. Next week, no. next Friday, as usual, uh, look for some uh, new episode by about 5 p.m. on Friday. And I think next week we're going to talk about building strength uh, for size. So right. get strong yes. in order to get big. Uh, so until then, I'll say bye, everybody. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank next you, week, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Right. We're out. Thanks a lot.